0: Hello, and welcome to CAA Conversations. Today, I'm with Andrew Demersian and Claudia Hart, as they will be discussing pedagogy that fuses emerging technology and aesthetics. Drawing from conceptual art, experimental music, and computer science, Andrew Demersian scrapes and remixes internet culture to create dense, rhythmic collages of sound and language. He teaches theory and production courses in emerging media in the film and media department, and the Integrated Media Arts MFA program at Hunter College. He is currently a fellow at the MIT Open Documentary Lab. Claudia Hart has been active as an artist, curator, and critic since 1988. Her art consists of visual simulations of all kinds, 3D imagery integrated into photography, multi-channel animation installations, performances, and sculptures using advanced production techniques such as rapid prototyping, CNC routing, and augmented reality custom apps. Her work deals with the issues of representation in the role of computer in shifting contemporary values about identity and the real, and the ideas about what's usually called the natural. Her project is to feminize the masculinist culture of technology by interjecting emotional subjectivity into the overly determined Cartesian world of digital design. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Karen. Claudia, I saw your piece um, back at the old I-beam, and I know you've been working in Augmented reality for a long time to me you're one of the pioneers of working in in kind of interesting aesthetics in this area and I'd love to start with just hearing your kind of thoughts about um, working in augmented reality into a curriculum is that something that you've been working on uh, in your teaching at all how, and how you're handling that because that's something we're struggling with in uh, at Hunter, how do we bring that into our curriculum?
2: Um, I, I think um, I started a, a different kind of pedagogic practice before augmented reality came into virtual reality, and now I've expanded that practice to include uh, a virtual reality, meaning VR headset-oriented work. And so I think it's part of a uh, a longer pedagogical arc, a kind of development that had to do with my um, artistic development in tandem with the, the technology developing, having a larger impact on culture, affecting the way people think even. So my pedagogy has been a process of research where I'm studying my students over a period of 23 or 4 years as I teach the simulation of the real. I'm saying this in broader terms because the app, versus this app versus that app or software starts to be irrelevant when you look at these kind of larger um, social, psychological shifts and culture that happen due to the technology we use. Um, so my pedagogy is involved in relation to that. And I also want to say that um, I have used this research as the basis of my work. And over the 24 years, the subject of my work became that which I just described to you. Mm -hmm. My study of my pedagogic impact and the the cultural impact of what I teach and how that has affected perception and cognition. In generations of students, so my pedagogy has developed in relation to that, and I'm happy to, you know, take that line of discussion.
1: Yeah, I, 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 that sounds really fascinating. I'd love to hear more about this kind of shift in cognition that you're you're thinking about. Something that you've seen changing. It's it's uh, I you know I'm I'm very curious about how our kind of daily existence with digital technology is changing our cognition and, and is this something that you're what are you responding to there and how are you implementing it into the classrooms?
2: Well well I want to just start from the beginning because um, I started um I started working with this stuff when I was forty one years old and I'm now 64. So it's like twenty three four years. When I started to, I started decided to teach myself animation, and then there was three D. It was the beginning of it, like Pixar's Toy Story One Ninety Five. Right. And I and I thought I had to learn that because I was a, a intermediate artist, but my I was very interested in issues of representation, the construction of perspective the invention of the camera, how these things have impacted artistic practice, meaning I was a painter, but that was what I was interested in. Right. I looked at Vermeer and Durer, I mean, going backwards in time and forwards through how photography, and it impacted my my practice as well. So when I started um, Ah, uh, with this stuff, there were no tutorials, right? I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was there was no um, software that was available for for um, for consumers, right? So it was um so you it was Unity based and it was very complex to use and there were no tutorials, so I had to teach myself. So I was my first pedagogic subject. <laughs> Somebody who was had been was showing him art for 15 years and working in multiple mediums and PS is self taught. I never went and got an MFA. Mm-hmm. Never had, you know, formal training. So I was my first subject matter. And what's interesting about this trajectory or story is um the reactions that it got in in um in the context that I was in, every time consistent. So it wasn't about one place versus another. So what I did was I, I would make myself projects and I, and I thought of each piece in the context, I was intermediate, of a medium. Mm. Meaning I'm making myself a kind of painting. Piece. It had subject matter, right? I dealt with with thematic things. I'm right. making a sculpture now. I'm making an installation now, and I then taught myself uh, with clusters of of skills that were based on studio practice. I was 41 years old, meaning you know supposedly too late to change my brain patterns. And I took two classes um, at the Center for Advanced, uh, what is it called again, uh, application, uh, something or rather, at NYU, which now offers an MS, but uh, as a kind of training for people in the effects business. Mm. And that's how I ac- accessed it, and I would set myself these projects, and then um and I would get a horrible headache in the beginning because it was, I was literally uh, burning new brain cells, you know? Mm, but yeah. we did um, learn it, like, pretty quickly, considering I was a self-taught old person. You know, yeah. once I get a 41-year-old now in my classes, I tell them, this is going to be sort of impossible. Yeah. <laughs> like, you better commit, or you can't do yeah. this. So How I do you started, get
1: them over the hump like that? What, well, is there? Yeah. Well,
2: uh, uh, let me go on. They, they sure. can learn because the, what I did was different. But I just want to say that. I'm, so I, I, I based each thing on a studio practice, like clusters mm-hmm. of skills related to the physical world, the phenomenal world. And um, I, I started teaching. Well, I'm um, at Pratt Institute, and from that beginning, none of the people are there anymore. I think even one of them died, so I can speak honestly. But um, a friend of mine brought me in, Claudia Herbst Tate, because she had helped me with some in uh, students for interns, and they said, Wow, we learned more from you than we ever did. And so I was brought in to teach, and just that strategy of teaching, I was told, um, And I got it myself. They thought it was dangerous. Hmm. In other words, going off of the industry pipeline rote way of memorization and skill clusters based on production digital sweatshop model
1: um,
2: was considered um, socially threatening. Yeah. Culturally threatening. Right. So anyway, I want to say that this happened... Across the board, when I introduced these uh, this way of teaching, even at the Art Institute, my mm-hmm. glorious institution, because there was it, there was already a, um, a way of teaching it within um, um, by adjunct professors, I was uh, right. hired to do that and develop a course um, of, of teaching. Um, that was based on industry practice. So this is directly related to what you're
1: yeah. asking me about. Right.
2: So um, anyway, I first taught at Pratt and I taught art historical themes and references and I taught them that they were working within a history of representation and my whole premise was based on that you looked, you were a cyborg looking through a virtual eye and that there were things related to the body and um a donna H- i would teach them like donna Haraway. Mm-hmm. That it was a, a prosthetic extension of the body there weren't gopro in those days but now a right. gopro is you know glued to your head and, right. and and what was astonishing was like the students and i I had them build perspective machines. They had to reconstruct a Vermeer and, and reconstruct the Vermeer um, camera obscura that he mm-hmm. used as a lens. And then I taught them, this is a hybrid of a perspective, five point perspective meets camera distortion. Mm-hmm. And guess what happened? They learned it very quick. Hmm. And they loved
1: it. Yeah.
2: So resistance, you know, seems to consistently change to um, enthusiasm because schools are institutions, private, must make money, fill classes.
1: Right, right, right.
2: So um, that, uh, 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 everything I did developed from that concept that it was a virtual enactment of a phenomenal experience. This is also um, starting with Maya, and it doesn't matter whether I translate that into augmented reality or um, headset based virtual reality. All right, do you want to yes. ask?
1: For yeah, sure. I was just writing down. It's a virtual enactment of what was it again? That was I thought that was like a real interesting kind of crux of what you were driving at. It was not a virtual, a, it's yes,
2: a experience.
1: Yeah, and it's and it seems like you're also really kind of couching that in the the uh, the deeper history of how we think about uh, perspective and art. In, in a much kind of longer lens that also kind of yeah, helps.
2: You know, we're in a, a, a um, the students who come to me now have played games and been in in the land of simulations from the time, let's say, they're four or three or forever. Um, right. But, but when I started in um, the mid-90s teaching it, or it was maybe '90. Yeah, it must be the mid-90s, right? Um, uh, That wasn't the case. I mean, those people are now in their 40s.
1: Right.
2: And they, you know, were not... The younger you get there, the more your brain changes. And that's why younger generations who have grown up on the Internet with interactivity and in simulated XYZ space... Um, with effects with game with 3d games um, they the, the way they think is radically different and how would you yeah and, and, and the other thing I want to throw in that I noticed and also really affected my ped- pedagogy is that um, my first so I taught um, briefly at uh, pratt but then I was hired my first real job I also didn't start teaching until I was 41 so I approached pedagogy as a conscious intellectual. It, it was a practice related to my artistic practice, to my mm-hmm. own research. So it was always like I was studying them. And, and then after that, I was lucky enough to get hired by Sarah Lawrence. And then um, that was an institution, a college um, predicated on experimental pedagogy.
0: Number one,
2: number two, famous for having kids with so-called learning disabilities, so-called, see, I say so-called because I don't believe in it, Um, ADD kids, attention deficit, so-called disorders, um, and all that. And what I noticed when I got to Pratt, and there I started to make classes that were called virtual painting virtual or i don't know what i call them then because Mm -hmm. i changed all the names since then there was like i think there was whether it was virtual installation or there was like an art simulated architecture thing i did right Right. and and and, um so anyway what was fascinating was that um the kids who and p.s i'm always i you know there was no word add when i was young but there was supposedly something bad wrong with me and my family um, is all seriously um, dyslexic. Hmm. So my brain is, was wired in a certain way that made what I'm talking about very easy for me. Mm-hmm. That's why mm-hmm. I learned it. And P.S. all my so-called learning disabled uh, um, Sarah Lawrence students Speaking of pedagogy, Mm -hmm. simply great at this. Yeah, they didn't have ADD; they were just bored, and the way they taught them was so um completely not their thing. Yeah, they jumped up and down and ran around like maniacs. It was also probably sugary breakfast cereals that Americans like Cocoa Puffs, but. but aside from that it was also that and the parents would say oh my god thank you you saved my child and i was like i didn't save your child you know but that's when i started to understand from my very beginning experience with experimental education where i was given carte blanche yeah i didn't have to go and fight against a pixar Um, oriented, um, industry oriented, based on industry, sweatshot, mass production, uh, 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 production oriented, like a digital, you know, like a car. You do one kind of labor over and over. Right,
1: right, right.
2: And so the way of teaching traditionally is not what I do. It's like intro to whatever, right? So you do First, you do this menu set. First, you teach mm-hmm.
1: this. Yeah,
2: menu. yeah, yeah, yeah. Then yeah. you teach that in the intro class. You teach the easy menu set. Then you right, get right. the yeah, most yeah. harder menu set. The me- the medium menu set, right? And then the difficulter, and then yeah. the really hard menu set. And then you send them off to get a job. Yeah. And so what i found was my students where i charge them to make art in a simulated studio environment they learn so fast Mm -hmm. and they're so inventive because i'm teaching them to improvise and i am so i do i am contra tutorial
1: well i'd love to hear how let, you know, like a, a specific example or some way that you got students to kind of engage more deeply with the, with thinking about um, the computer as a, um, as a, as a, like an instrument, you're talking about improvising, you know, how did you get them to think about the, the value systems that are kind of embedded or encoded in these computational uh, processes Um, You know, like, what would be like a success story that you found, like, really that unlocked a person's, a student's creativity in in some of these examples?
2: It's just the way I teach. It's funny. I had a a student last semester who was um, coming from a culture that's very rule-driven, and she had a very traditional uh, training. Mm -hmm. Um, The way I teach, which I'm about to tell you, was so anxiety-provoking her, that I noticed she stopped coming, I mean, SAIC, there's no grades, it's all, I always say, you know, it's like, we grade you on attendance, and I will be rigorous about it, and she was like missing, missing classes, and I had her go to speak to a um, guidance counselor, and finally she came in afterwards weeping, and she told me that it was so scary for her to think in the way I'm about to tell you what it is. Um, and and once she cried and told me how scary and that she was afraid she'd fail, she just went out and did it and she did great and made up, worked in such a crazy obsessional way that she mm-hmm. actually caught up. It was about a month before the semester ended. Wow. So, yeah, so it's inspiring. But, um, so what I do is, um, I, 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 um, give them projects from the beginning and my intro class. So I teach two classes and I, I, exactly what you're talking, you were me about. So, uh, I teach two classes. One of them is called, and the other classes are taught not by me, but I wrote them and I taught, I teach them like once. And then I hand them over and then they modify them in their own creative way, you know, but what I teach is intro X3D and virtual installation. And what they are, are virtual, uh, intro X3D, the basic course um, to teach three D, which I, is my research for my own artistic practice, mm-hmm. tracking it is based on the Bauhaus basic course developed by Johannes Iten. And I can I
1: ask you real quick, just to sorry yeah. to Claudia, when you're saying X three D. Um, That, uh, I think it would be good to clarify, it's Experimental 3D, is that correct?
2: Yes, and the whole program within the film, video, new media, animation department, the cluster of courses is called Mm. X3D. Oh, okay. Experimental 3D. And and that's taught now at eight different schools by my former graduate students who are now grown-ups, Married, children, and... <laughs> yeah. It's great.
1: I love, that. Uh, I love that way of framing it as experimental 3D because it kind of reminds me of experimental cinema and, um, and expanded cinema. And, it, and it's this kind of lineage where you're, you're kind of drawing from these um, different forms of approaches, but it's connected to, to a history. And so I love that way of framing it. And I thought that's really smart. But you were driving towards this way of uh, teaching this class, teaching these.
2: Well, well I want to respond to that first. What you said yeah. about experimental cinema. So, um, so I, I I studied art history and um, film theory, and I went to NYU. So, I studied all this stuff as an art historian, and my thing was structuralist experimental film. When I was first taking classes at NYU, that was the reign of Annette Michelson, who developed, you know, who was the first artist or one of the first art historians of, of experimental, the trajectory of experimental film. Right. Went into video.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and so I started off with Michael Snow. That was my hero. Mm-hmm. So I was interested in the structuralist film So the idea, and then video. And then the idea of deconstructing, um, conceptually, um, virtual simulation, which I consider post-photography, meaning, you know, the photographic paradigm of capture is now, you know, in the toilet. And Mm -hmm. there is... Uh, uh, you know, and it's already partially replaced by uh, the idea of the model. And and now it's, you know, it's like just a matter of, let's say, 10 years at this point. I always think it's 10 years. But now, 25 years later, I say 10 more years. But um, <laughs> no, I think it because look at photogrammetry and effects and all that. So yeah, the capture versus the model. Right. Mathematical X, Y, Z, and simulated model, which simulates both the lens and the construction of space. Right. Right. So in a mathematical way, in an X, Y, Z simulated environment. And this is a conceptual shift that's cultural and conceptual hence students who are younger do not have to struggle with that they think the world has xyz and people who grew up with cameras think it's flat Mm. so why do they learn this stuff in 10 minutes well they know the world is xyz
1: (laughs) Mm. interesting
2: well it's not really but that's what we think now
1: yeah and so you feel like this is part of that cognitive shift that you were talking about, yes. is that it's a kind of different way of, you know, seeing the world or kind of understanding uh, the world as this kind of uh, more of like a game type model design framework than a, a two-dimensional screen, flat screen kind of way of thinking, of, like from cinema and she photography.
2: Looks screens. Yeah. And it's, it looks through menus. Mm-hmm. So I think the idea, when you asked me how do I teach and how is it, you asked me something about cultural relatives, I think, somewhere back there. But, um, so we looked through the screens previously. Now we look through a liminal gateway. A screen or a camera as a gateway, but nobody, and, 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 and structural Filmmakers totally appreciated that and made work about it
1: right
2: you is another a mathematical system Mm -hmm. it's it's, it's a system right that's a gateway constructed as a liminal gateway into a mathematical cartesian space and so so what i the way for them to learn this is to understand that this gateway was built by a bunch of white men up in Montreal. This is very important for them to get.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: in fact, we—why I don't want them to use tutorials. Although at the end of class, I, I, I tell them you could look at this group of tutorials on Linda's, which mm-hmm. have scattered around all the different courses. My poor right. graduate students have to. Um, teaching assistants, their job is to track me while I'm making it up as I go along in response to the particular community of students I have, and as the time goes by and the cultural has impacted, the, the impact of what we're talking about, simulations, representations have impacted on culture, that you see an arc or a shift in the gestalt of where the aesthetics want to go and then Uh I I sort of improvise for them you know the clusters of stuff and then my graduate students have to follow me they have to take notes and then they have to find the Lindas that are scattered all over Lindaville
1: right right that's hilarious
2: yeah Yeah. but it's fun and I mean they, they seem to like it and they all end up
1: Teaching XVD and having
2: tenured jobs. Well, this
1: this idea idea of improvisation, uh, I think, is so fascinating. And maybe this is a different conversation for another time. It's
2: the same one,
1: yeah. Uh, That uh, you know, it's it's. I came from a a jazz, you know, background, uh, playing saxophone, and I've I. I feel like improvisation is something that we're doing all the time, uh, but it's not something that we kind of teach or think about in an intensive way in an art school practice. And, and I think we're going to start to see that kind of shifting over uh, um, over the next ten well, years that's or so.
2: Exactly right. I'm so glad you say that because the reason why engineers have their creativities deleted is that with it. It's believed that to teach systems, you have to be linear. But, in fact, systems are, a complex system is not linear. It's Right. It's, right. it's, um, it's...
1: Responding to different uh, complex set of... It's inputs. calculus. Yeah.
2: When you talk about geometry, you're talking about simultaneous equations it's relational it's calculus it's not linear Mm -hmm. and this
1: is something i think we do as humans so well we're kind of we're taking in hundreds of inputs and responding to them uh and i think that's where improvisation is really uh it's it it, you know it's not just willy-nilly stuff it's it's directed by the input that we're receiving and kind of taking that flow and going to a, the next place from there.
2: Yeah, exactly. Were talking so, so basically what I do with the basic course is I take the structures of basic rock core design principles from from Aiton in his basic course, which was intermedia. They drew, they made collage with materials, they used photography. Um, and yeah. he would say um, point line plane big little right yeah. wide narrow and i say based on and then i actually use his pictures of what his students did and i say okay the assignment is nine images based on these three sets of opposites
1: oh wow i love that
2: yeah and we start with black with black and white you know with just um, ambient occlusion meaning mm. Uh, gray shades of gray and then um and that allows me to also deconstruct how the software works in terms of the way it represents and that's where we get into these discussions like how they can to to learn without me
1: Mm -hmm. right
2: need to be able to think how the software thinks and the menu is the gateway to the Mm -hmm. systems developed by in our case as we use Maya a bunch Mm -hmm. of white guys in a Nordic country so (laughs) you think I'm kidding but it does help them to understand that because like oh yeah hyper rationalists like hyper engineering ish they would think that but I don't think that way because I'm a I'm an improvisatory artist. They come mm-hmm. into me, they, what do most people think? I, they don't come to me until they're 19. They have to take the basic course from SAIC, the first year program, like in all art schools, equal, the, are based on the basic course of the Bauhaus. Pretty much all. Yeah. So right. I think, okay, now we're gonna bring that into the virtual environment. And what ends up happening—that's fascinating—is I mean, we give them the tutorials after every class. There's their assignments on our, our, uh, uh, our, our um, you know, there's a website that they we right. use, and there's the Lindas that my graduate mm-hmm. student has to post their notes and their Lindas, and then and then um, and then they don't—they will not look at the Lindas. Hmm. It's like they just won't do it, but they because they think they're making art. They don't hmm. think they're making a game to sell to industry. They just go, right. "Oh yeah, it's virtual art making based right. on improvisation."
1: Nice. And I had one thing I wanted to follow up on uh, that you brought up that I think is it's really important in, in the times that we're in, and that's uh, the the you, you know, I'd love to hear your recommendations for kind of feminizing the masculine culture surrounding technology and how you approach that with class exercises or well, course uh, materials and some way I, I
2: first of all, we didn't do virtual installation, but your idea about augmented is the same idea. It's based okay. on the idea that you, I, we are installing one system of representation into another. In this right. case, we make. Um, we use the School of the Art Institute nineteenth and uh, early twentieth century painting collection. The impact of photography, right? Yeah. Um, media archaeological meetings that I make them do, and then and then they install on a painting through the mediation of a video, what is augmented and a gif which is overlaid through the camera of the actual physical phone mm-hmm. to a painting that is dealing with issues of photographic representation and how this has impacted. So that's my other basic course. It's structuralist. Mm-hmm. asked about structuralist film and video. And right. those pretty much every student goes on to advanced classes. They take those two with me and their brains have been changed about deconstructing the software, both analyzing it from a social and political point of view. So you ask, male and female. Well, um, female meaning uh, who likes, who is famous since the time of the French experimental filmmakers? Women, feminist women have occupied that space with art making since the beginning of, of uh, experimental film, pre, pre, at the beginning of film, you know? So what we're studying there is that because women have been excluded from the logocentric system and they tend to be very free in abandoning and rejecting logocentric overly determined system. Making. So I teach them how to hack it. Mm-hmm. And that's in my mind a feminist practice.
1: Yeah.
2: How to hack the system, the logo central patriarchal system, which is enforced in the administrations of all schools.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: All traditional pedagogic practices. Why did Johannes Itten get fired from the Bauhaus? Even because he would wear those crazy costumes and make them do yoga and all that.
1: And <laughs> highlighting the kind of key, the not the key, but so many of the great uh, kind of feminist uh, uh, makers over the last you know forty-five, you know, forty years. I guess that's this is also a you know such an important key. Uh, where they have models for the people that are kind of hacking the system, like you're talking about. That, sure,
2: uh, I sit on the shoulders of Erica Beckman, who mm-hmm. is an experimental filmmaker who's now getting lauded and was sort of left out of the history of the David Sally people, who were her peers, and they all went to CalArts together. And she mm-hmm. mentored me. She described mm-hmm. me as a young person, and so I ended up standing literally on her shoulders as she was a 16mm fil- experimental filmmaker emerging from mm-hmm. structuralism. Yeah. And um, anyway, you were asking what ends up happening, and this is a good closure about industry and education and pedagogy and design versus art, is that my students, because of this, are very formally inventive, opposed to people who are more industry pipeline trained. Um, and so guess what happens? As you know, 8% of art students eight years later still make art. Most of them get jobs in design and industry, in visual, you know, based industries. And mine you too, very easily and before everybody else. Because their portfolios are really kick-ass.
1: So let's leave it there. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts with us.